Our scripture this morning sounds a little bit like the start of a bad joke. A Pharisee and a tax collector walk into a temple. Well, was Jesus trying to make his audience laugh? When seeking to understand Jesus' teachings, it's, it's incredibly helpful for us to, to consider what the people he is teaching believe about the world around them. It, it, it's helpful to understand and get a picture of their worldview. Now, it was a commonly held belief among the, the people of the first century ancient Near East that, that right living, meaning living according to Jewish law or, or to the Torah, the first five books of, of our Old Testament, living in this way would, would bring God's favor. And so it, it would lead to a good life. It, it would lead to a successful life in many of the ways that, that we would still define it today, successful business, plenty to eat, healthy family. And they also believed that those who did not live according to God's law would be punished. In other words, you get what you deserve. In theological terms, this is referred to as retributive theology. And this morning, I want to ask the question, what is the connection between seeking to live as God desires or living according to Scripture, God's favor, and our quality of life. How are these connected? Are, are they? If these first century Jews ascribe to some version of retributive theology, well, what do we believe? I've shared this with you before, but, but I believe it bears repeating this morning that in teaching eighth grade confirmation for a number of years, I would always, on the very first day of class, assign a questionnaire or a little pop quiz. And it always included some form of the question, how do we get to heaven? And without fail, without fail, every year the vast majority, if not all, of these eighth grade students gave some form of the answer by being a good person. Every year. And this is significant because I believe it's representative of, of what the people around them believe. It's representative of, of the culture that we live in. It's representative of us. By being a good person, in other words, you get what you deserve. But is this the gospel message? In fact, the, the heart of the gospel message is, is exactly the opposite. It's that we, that we don't get what we deserve, right? Well, what is the truth then? What, what is it that we really believe about the way the world operates? What does Scripture tell us about the relationship between the way we live, God's favor, and our quality of life? These are some of the questions that I'd like for us to consider as we read today's scripture. And so I invite you to open your pew Bibles or the Bibles you've brought with you from home. 
to our gospel reading for this morning from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. We read, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. What does this morning's parable tell us about the way that we are to live? Should we be like the tax collector or should we be like the Pharisee? I was talking with one of our high school students earlier this week about an assignment that she was working on and and she had been assigned to, to write a persuasive essay and the question was, should our prison systems seek to incarcerate or rehabilitate? Should they seek to punish or redeem? Curious, I asked her which side of the argument she'd been assigned. Both, she replied. She'd been tasked with arguing both sides of the issue, and I thought this was pretty wise of her professor. And so for a moment this morning, I'd like to do the same. I'd like to argue for both the tax collector and the Pharisee. Because I believe that there are qualities or behaviors of both the Pharisee and the tax collector that we're called to emulate and others that the parable warns us to avoid. And Jesus, as you probably imagined, was not telling a joke. In fact, if we find ourselves chuckling as we examine it more closely, I think we've fallen into a trap. I'll explain what I mean in just a moment. But first, let's consider the tax collector. In a a superficial reading of the text, he, he is the hero of the story. And yet, the parable is certainly not calling us to to be like tax collectors. Right? They were collaborators with the occupying Roman government. They they preyed upon their own Jewish people in order to earn a living. Well, the parable is not calling us to emulate the tax collector's way of living. So what is it that we are to imitate? We only have one verse regarding the tax collector's behavior, and we read it, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The beating of one's breast is, is in fact, customary in repentant prayer in the Jewish faith on Yom Kippur, which our Jewish brothers and sisters just celebrated a couple of weeks ago. On Yom Kippur, they pray the Alchet, which we prayed a a shortened version of earlier in our service as a prayer of confession. And as they pray, they they would beat on their breast as an expression of humility before God. As one rabbi put it, striking one's chest is an acknowledgement that I am out of alignment. 
tapping on the chest, the heart, is a way to realign with God's heart. The parable is, is a call not to emulate the tax collector's way of living, but rather the tax collector's humility and repentance. The one who stands far off, out of a sense of, of what? Unworthiness in the temple around all of these other who are presumably holy. It's this behavior that's lifted up because we worship a God, we worship a God of the unworthy. Are you feeling unworthy? Hear me this morning. If you are feeling unworthy, the Lord is near. If you are experiencing disappointment or shame, our God is closer to you than perhaps you believe. Now let's consider the Pharisee. But before doing that, I... I want you to have a look at this. this. You probably cannot see this very well. This is a tool. It's a tool that's used for changing the strings of a guitar. About four or five years ago, I was changing the strings on my guitar, preparing for re- rehearsal across the street, and our bassist, Ronnie Young, came in, and, and I think, believing I was taking far too long, suggested a tool for doing just that rather than the assortment of tools that I had before me. And and a week later, being a thoughtful person, he dropped this tool off in front of me and put it on my music stand. Well, being the stubborn man that I am, it sat in my guitar case for three years going unused as I continued to struggle doing it my way. Only to discover about six months ago when I did pick it up, it, it cuts the time in half easily. It is, it is a silly-looking little tool with a pair of snips. There's a tool on one end for pulling the pegs out, and then this that is actually used to, to uh, twirl the guitar tuning pegs at about three to four times the speed I can do it manually. It possesses all of these unique qualities in order to accomplish a specific purpose, and when used appropriately, it meets a need like nothing else can. Friends, I want you to hear this morning that each of us has been put together in order to meet specific needs that only we can, but only when used as the Creator designed. And so Scripture lays out for us that design. It it lays out for us how we are to use the gifts that God has given us. And so as we look at the Pharisee and this Pharisee's behaviors, the Pharisee is living in many ways according to the way that God created the Pharisee to live. Fasting, as God has called him to. Tithing, as God has called him to. And in this season of stewardship, I want to just spend a, a moment talking about this practice of tithing. Tithing means giving away 10%. And in reading Old Testament scripture, between the regular tithe and then the special offerings that were given on high holy days, Jewish followers were called to give away up to 25% of their financial resources. And this was in addition to a number of disciplines. Now, the New Testament is not specific on a number, but Jesus sure spends a lot of time talking about the ability of our resources, specifically money, to ensnare us, to poison the well. I think 
This is something that we intuitively understand because when someone begins talking about money, we begin to think, what's your angle? And so I want to tell you this. You do need to give some of your money away. And maybe it is 10%. Maybe it's more. But if this is a new discipline to you, that may not be realistic. And I was talking with one of our members about uh, his workout routine recently. He said, you know, I'm only doing 10 pull-ups in the morning. (laughs) I said, I don't think I can do 10 pull-ups in a week. In a similar manner, generosity is a muscle that we learn to exercise. The other thing I want you to hear, if you are a guest with us this morning, I'm not telling you you need to give to the church. What I am telling you is you do need to give somewhere. And if you're a member of the church, I don't think that all of your giving necessarily needs to come to the church, but some of it does. Because that's what it means to be a part of a community here. We give together, we dream together, we live together. And so the estimate of giving is is exactly how we do that. It encourages a spiritual discipline for intentional generosity because the gift that we plan for brings us far more joy to give than the one we pick up on the way to the party. And what might this community learn from us if we learned to give ourselves away as God calls us to? Because I I believe that this is also why the Pharisee's life is so important. His life serves as a testimonial presence. It's his way of living that convicts the tax collector that he is not living according to God's purpose. The Pharisee's way of living is what drives the tax collector to repentance in the temple. Let's not be so quick to dismiss the Pharisee. Otherwise, we might fall into the trap. Justo Gonzalez is a former professor of history at Columbia Seminary, and he tells this story. He says, there's a Sunday school teacher who, after a great lesson on the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, led his class in this prayer. Lord, we thank you that we have your word and your church, and that therefore we are not like the Pharisee. Now, the contradiction between what the parable says and what this teacher did is obvious. But we fail to see that in every act of pointing to that contradiction and perhaps even chuckling at this teacher's incomprehension, we are secretly saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this teacher who did not even understand your parable. Friends, we're not to avoid being a a Pharisee. We're not to avoid living a holy life, living according to Scripture. We're to avoid comparing ourselves to others. And if we are honest, we do this far more readily than we would like to admit. Friends, when's the last time you have said, God, thank you that I am not like? I heard an illustration some years ago, about a boy who was looking out at a field at a herd of sheep. He was noting how some of the sheep were white and others were mottled and dirty-looking. 
And he wondered how some had become so dirty and others stayed so clean. And as he thought this, it began to snow. And soon the field where the sheep had been roaming was covered in a blanket of pure white. No longer did any of the sheep look white. In fact, the boy had a difficult time discerning which of the sheep he had previously thought looked clean when now compared to pure white. When we play the comparison game with another, we we convince ourselves of our own cleanliness or of another's dirtiness. But when we compare ourselves to the only model that we're called to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, we find that we're all pretty dirty sheep. It becomes far more difficult to distinguish ourselves one from the other. It is not the holy practices which make the Pharisee unholy. It's his belief that the holy practices make him worthy in the eyes of God. And thus this parable is simultaneously a call to holiness and humility. To emulate the holiness of the Pharisee and the humility of the tax collector. So what is the connection between the way we live, God's favor, and our quality of life? Living faithfully, living by God's design, is how we maximize who God has created us to be. But it's not how we earn God's favor. In fact, the favor we find from God is distinct from our experience of life. Wherever you find yourself this morning, God is with you and God is for you. Living faithfully brings joy and glorifies God, but it is not why God loves you. God loves you because that's who God is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And it is because God loves us that we each can approach this table all who have life and breath and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord may come to this table and eat regardless of the week that you've just had. Friends, let us pray. It is right in our joy, creator God, to give you thanks and praise. For in the beginning you created the heavens and the earth and you have given life to every living thing and made us in your image. Even When we turn from you, you do not turn away from us. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon these gifts of bread and juice, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Inflame us with your Spirit, that we may be united in ministry in every place, one body, one faith, and one baptism. Send us in your marvelous light into the world, ready to serve others and work for peace. We pray in the triune name of God. Amen. On the night our Lord was arrested, he took bread and after having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper And after giving thanks, said, This cup is a new covenant poured out for you. Every time that you eat this bread, 
or you drink from this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. Friends, the meal of God for the people of God. Take, eat, and drink. Drink.